So here we are, the last Sunday of 2019, about to turn the page on another year. In a couple of days, we'll watch the clocks, the clocks count down the minutes and seconds as if time is starting all over again. But it doesn't stop and start. It just keeps rolling, just as space is ever-expanding and the continents are shifting under our feet. As I researched the idea of time, yeah, I googled it, surfed the internet, the concept that struck me was that time is motion. Yes, time is measured by movement through space. Our days come and go as the Earth spins on its axis and orbits the sun, making it appear the sun is crossing the sky. Our month started out as the 28 days it takes the moon to orbit around the Earth, waning and waxing from the full moon to crescent and new moon, back again to fullness. In areas in the latitudes away from the equator, our years pass in cycles of the season. Progressing through the seasons, winter to spring, summer to fall. As the Earth rotates, nature moves in cycles of extremes, hot to cold, light to dark, growth and abundance to the bareness of winter, and back to birth and rebirth. The vastness of space is measured in motion. I can't wrap my mind around the idea of the space between the stars, so we talk about light years. The distance light can travel in one year, almost six trillion miles. The closest stars are Alpha Centauri A and B in the southern constellation Centauri, bright stars about 4.3 light years from here. We can see them in the night sky in the southern hemisphere, but we may never be able to reach them. Trying to make sense out of the passage of time and the vastness of space has been going on since the earliest days of Homo sapiens, when women and men looked up at the moon and the sun and made patterns of the stars. We followed the cycles of the seasons, trying to decide when to plant, when to hunt or move with the herds, when to retreat to the winter caves or our shelters, and when to emerge in the warmth of spring. We watched the shadows behind the trees and rocks and built structures that caught that magical beam of light on the summer solstice. We timed our festivals between the equinox, when day and night are equal in the spring and fall, and then at the summer solstice, the longest day, and again the winter solstice, the longest night. As an example of how our ancestors followed the movement of the sun, another sacred site was discovered only in 1991, which may be one of the oldest placements of solar alignment. This is Gosek Circle in Saxon-Anhalt in eastern Germany. It may date as far back as 7,000 years ago, 2,000 years before the stones were erected at Stonehenge, before the pharaohs ordered the, the um, pyramids of Giza to be built. Gosek Circle, it's been reconstructed of mud and wood stakes. Paleoarchaeologists believe that it had three concentric circles and two entrances that align with the sunrise and sunset of winter solstice. I saw something about this on TV and the narrator was talking about human sacrifice and religious observances that were done there. But perhaps those folks were just happy to figure out when the longest night was going to happen. 
They were reassured that, to know that afterward the days will become longer and the sun will again conquer the darkness. So how do we document and chart the passage of days, lunar months, and years, thinking of time as an ongoing process, stretching from way back in the future, way back in our past into the far future? Calendars from any culture take a chunk out of that timeline and assign their own starting point for the first year and pinpoint dates for the start and finish of that particular year. I found Babylonian and Mesopotamian calendars, calendars from Hindu and Buddhist traditions of the Indian subcontinent, the Hebrew calendar, Chinese calendar, among many others. The seven days of the week are believed to have come from the Babylonians, who assigned the days to the seven celestial bodies that they knew of, the sun, the moon, and five planets. And yes, it is believed the seven-day week was used by Sumerians and Babylonians before the Hebrews wrote their texts about creation. What number you assigned this year that we're in, and when we start the year, is maybe an accident of birth, where you happen to be or what religion you may follow. Using the Hebrew calendar, this is the year 5780, and we'll have to wait until September 18th to recognize Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Or we could observe the Islamic New Year, called Muharram, next August 21st, eight months from now. Or we could go into Washington, D.C. for some fun and celebrate the Chinese New Year next month on January 25th. By the way, this is the year of the pig, and 2020 will be the year of the rat. <coughs> also, on the Mayan calendar, thank you to Bruce Griffin, this is the year 7 Ka'an, 12 Kankin. Sounds kind of Klingon, doesn't it? This is, the date for today is 13-0-7-2-4. And tomorrow will be 8 Chukchan. So we have lots of ways of telling the dates and the moons. Another way of doing it is from um, the Finnish calendar. The months are named after more descriptions of the time of year that we're in. I won't go through all the months, but today is Yulaku, ku meaning month. So it's the month of Yule, which dates back to before Christianity, the pagan days. January would be Tamiku. Tami means oak, also means the heart or core. So January is the heart of winter. I like the name for February is Helmiku. Helmi means pearl. It comes, the name comes from the icy pearls that form on twigs and branches that you see glinting in the sun. Quite poetic, until you realize that October is called lokaku, when it rains and snows and makes slush, lokaku, mud month. Native American tribes name their full moons tied to natural cycles. Though they differ, we can use the example from the Algonquin people. For today, we are in the cold moon, and next month is the wolf moon. Finally, trade and influence of Roman conquest and the spread of Christianity gave us the Gregorian calendar with the months named after gods and rulers. But time is still motion, breaking down the days into small increments of hours and minutes became essential for human activities such as astronomy, oceanic navigation, trade, when to pray, and we use things that move to measure it. Thousands of years ago, our ancestors started to track the hours and minutes in the day 
with water clocks and sundials, flowing water and the shadows cast on a sundial, sand falling in an hourglass, gears turning in mechanical clocks, the swing of pendulums, the oscillation of quartz, crystals, all these things measure time in motion. I'm not going to get into digital clocks. That's something else. The life in our bodies is measured by movement and time. Heartbeats per minute, a blood pressure cuff that checks the flow of blood through our veins. We live our daily lives now not tied to the cycles of agriculture and the movement of the sun. We manage with climate-controlled environments that mitigate the extremes of the passing seasons. When nights are long and dreary, we have special sun lamps to alleviate the symptoms of SAD, seasonal affective disorder. Hurrying to school or work in our next appointment in our cars, we can turn on our seat warmers or open the air vents for cool air or warm air. Unless we live on a farm or have jobs that take us outdoors, it makes it easy to disconnect from the earth and cycles of nature. But we have become obsessed with schedules and appointments and deadlines controlling the hours of our days. We may chart it and track it and measure its duration, but there is a terrible consequence to our awareness of time. Mitch Albom, who wrote Tuesdays with Maury, reminds us of this with these words. Quote, try to imagine a life without timekeeping. You probably can't. You know the month, the year, the day of the week. There is a clock on the wall or on the dashboard of your car. You have a schedule, a calendar, a time for dinner or a movie. Yet all around you, timekeeping is ignored. Birds are not late. A dog does not check its watch. Deer do not fret over passing birthdays. Man alone measures time. Man alone chimes the hour. And because of this, man alone suffers a paralyzing fear that no other creature endures, a fear of time running out. Here in DC, we have a stunning visual reminder of how beautiful and brief life can be. In 2012, we celebrated the centennial of the gift of more than 3,000 cherry trees from Japan. They present a lavish spectacle every spring. There's a wonderful YouTube segment narrated by a man named Constantine Vaporis. He's director of Asian Studies and a history professor at the University of Maryland. He says the cherry blossoms are an important part of Japanese culture and have been since ancient times, with viewing festivals going back as early as the third century. The cherry blossom is prized in Japanese culture, not just for its beauty, but because its bloom does not last very long, perhaps two weeks before the petals fall again. In fact, the brevity of its life on the bough makes its beauty all the more poignant. <coughs> Sakura, the cherry blossom, signals the beginning of spring, a time of renewal and optimism, and coincides with the beginning of the Japanese calendar year. This symbol of fragility and transience in life is tied to the Buddhist themes of mortality, mindfulness, and living in the present. It's time, the cherry blossoms remind us, to pay attention. Not only in Japan, but here and around the world, this cultural icon is revered as an expression of life, death, and renewal. 
Also among the ancient traditions of Buddhist and Hindu cultures is the belief that time is cyclical and repeats itself in endless cycles. In fact, according to Hindu Vedic cosmology, there is no absolute start to time. Similarly, space, or the universe, has neither beginning nor end, but is cyclical and even multidimensional. In one form of Hindu cosmology, there are multiple universes that each is born from chaos, grows and decays, then dies back into chaos to be reborn again. Further, there are different and parallel realities. It does get complicated, and yet it's so simple. Cycles of life, the old and the new, 2019 rolling into 2020. The new year is a date, a rotating designation that rolls around and through our lives, reminding us of the years that have passed. We are aware that our mortality is tied to this short existence on Earth. Celebrations in our lives lurch between dates marking individual events, a birthday, a naming day or adoption day, marriage or divorce, the death of a loved one. But our lives do still move in cycles, birth, growth and abundance, the dying away, and the welcome of new life in the generations that follow us. I look at time as cyclical, where my life doesn't end, but renews itself in the chains of DNA that I leave behind. Our lives are caught up in this time and this space, as the universe perhaps spirals around us in an endless loop. And I'm fascinated by the infinite. We can intellectually know that this galaxy swirled into existence 13 billion years ago. And now the scientists say the Milky Way is hurtling on a collision course toward the Andromeda galaxy that may happen in another billion years. We can only wonder what new worlds will emerge from such a maelstrom. The idea of time emerging from some unknown speck and stretching forward into infinity is my idea of the divine, an awesome concept that boggles my mind. On a grand scale here on Earth, we can measure great spans of geological eras, extending millions of years, punctuated by mass extinctions and the emergence of evolving life. Or shrinking the concept of time, scientists can estimate subatomic reactions smaller than nanoseconds, smaller than a billionth of a second. Infinity of time and space, collapsing inward, expanding ever outward, but always in motion. This is the closest I get to the concept of the divine. And standing here in between, I am in constant awe of that mystery.